Happy National Mental Health Awareness Month, everybody. This is Sylvia Brown doing my PSA to assist in bringing awareness to this topic. If you are experiencing any emotional distress that impairs you in your life, that affects relationships, work, school, your overall functioning, you can contact the Mental Health National Hotline at 866-903-3787. If you're experiencing a crisis, you can text BRAVE to the crisis hotline 741741. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, you can contact National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Take care. This week on Yankee and the Brave. Back at it like a crack addict. Mr. Black Magic. Crack a bitch back. Chiropractic craft magic. Big static smoking. Big static in a black alley in a black granddaddy. Rolling down old natty house. Nappy Maddie as a black granddaddy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is uh, Kevin and Tyree on the podcast before I, f- uh, before I forget. Um, say hi to you. Say hello, Tyree. Hey, hey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to season two, baby. Yeah, season two, and uh, and uh, it's, it's great. It's great to be here. It's great to be doing this. And today we have a pretty badass guest. I'm pretty excited about uh, him being on the show. I'm super thankful that he agreed to it. Um, so we've got uh, uh, just a, a quick introduction. Um, former U.S. Army Special Forces, retired SWAT, and now the owner and operator of a uh, firearms and, and tactics training company uh, called Graybeard Actuals. His name is uh, Matt Little. Hello, everybody. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good conversation, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially with, uh, like, you know, your, your history, your background, and obviously your training and what you do. Like, we're definitely excited to, to get into some some of the um, general details. <laughs> All right. We're, uh, where do we want to start? Irene, you, you are the question asker. Okay. Well, <clears throat> typical our questions as usual when we start off with this whole thing was uh where were you on september 11th so on september 11th i was actually already a tabbed sf guy and i was in 20th special forces group which is a sf group in the national guard Mm -hmm. which in my opinion is like the best kept secret in the military it's the best deal there is 20th and 19th so it was my first day as a patrolman in Chicago on the SWAT team. Hmm. And I was actually headed into the office when the towers fell. Dang. So it was pretty interesting because not only did I have, you know, this responsibility now with 20th group because the balloon had gone up, but we were doing a lot of stuff around Chicago. It wasn't called SWAT back then. It was called HBT and SOS. But we were doing a lot of stuff in Chicago. I mean, I, I spent six months basically guarding the Sears Tower at work from terrorist attacks. Not that any of them ever happened, but right. it was an interesting time. So between that and 20th, it was definitely, it yeah, was that's, definitely that's, an interesting time. For sure. That's actually like, like, yeah, I mean, you're getting it from both ends, um, especially being in, in, in you know, a very large, one of the largest cities in the country. Um, with what just happened, that's intense. I, I kind of want to ask you, like, what was uh, what was the vibe, um, you know, as, as you know, in, in the in the in twentieth group and your in your group there, what was that like overall vibe from from those people? I mean, I I had just we he and I were in basic training when this happened, <laughs> you know, so we were down at Fort Benning. Yeah, we were um, we tots at that time. I'm gonna get into um, 
a little bit more about why you joined the military, but like I said, that's our standard, you know, first, first yeah. out the gate question, but you're giving us some pretty, you know, a- answers that we haven't been able to get from anyone else because like uh, Kevin said, you're getting it from two ends, uh, the military and the police. And I understand that fully because I was LAPD for a little bit myself. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. It was, um, you know, and it's not like you want anything to happen in downtown Chicago, oh, but no. there was this feeling of kind of being on the edge, waiting for the shooter drop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And on the 20th group side of things, like it was, honestly, we were all hoping the war wouldn't be over before we got a chance to go anywhere. Mm. You know, yeah. we wanted to make sure we got spun up too, just like the active duty guys. And um, as it turns out, we definitely did. Oh yeah. It was, it was a very interesting time to be, in 20th or 19th group it um it, it changed things and like i'm, I'm going to be a little bit honest here and hopefully i don't offend any of my my uh predecessors and mentors in group but there was a little bit of dead weight in 20th group before 9 11. Hmm. you know it had just been so long since anything had happened that they'd had a direct part in right right there was a lot of talent too don't get me wrong there were some real studs too but once 9-11 happened, it was like overnight that changed. And it became, in my opinion, pretty much every bit as sharp as an active duty group, even given the limited training time, because there were so many deployments and so many schools, and you were either spinning up for a deployment or coming back from one, mm-hmm. you know? So it it was really it was really good to see it become what it was always meant to be yeah and that was that was nice to be part of isn't it awesome I mean, that we we'll sit back and watch that whole thing come together i mean i'm assuming at this point you have had several deployments but yes, this particular yeah. deployment had to have meant a little bit something a little bit more meaningful for you and to have your teammates whip into shape more or less uh when it's time to go it's got to be a good feeling yeah and it was it was interesting too because i mean they either they either whipped into shape or they faded away, yeah. you know, and it, it got rid of the guys that wanted to wear a cool hat, but didn't want to actually do the work. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with that process too. Not, not as hardcore badass as you are. I'm uh, in the reserves now. I'm a, I'm a drill sergeant. Um, so we see, we kind of, we kind of see a lot of that too, where a lot of people come into the unit and they just want a cool hat and they want to, they want the title. They want to, you know, they want people to think that they're this, you know, Billy badass and, Really, you're just some, you know, just another dickhead with a hat on, you know. I'd be terrified. Um, I get found out, man. This is some heavy duty, real shit going on, and here I am, just trying to hold on to a tab and a hat. Man, right. I would hope that someone would see that and be like, "Get the fuck out of here, dude." It, it didn't take long for that to happen, really, because it was really peer pressure for a lot of them. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, "Hey, man, you're you're not going to be an asset." And that's gotta be rough to hear, especially, you know, having, having that long tab and, and having one of your peer, your peers, uh, tell you, Hey man, you're, you're not going to be an asset. But like at the same be... time, like, Hey man, you know, this business, if I'm telling yeah. you this, you it's the hard need truth. Your, yeah. Get your shit together. Or, or well, you know. And that's one of the things I always loved about SF. It's like, it's unique in terms of anywhere I've ever been. Mm-hmm. It was the only true meritocracy I've ever found. Mm-hmm. Like you might like somebody, they might be your drinking buddy. You know, you, you don't want to hurt them. You know, you want to take care of them. But when it comes to 
having a job, it is the one place where it really is all about, can this person do the job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's refreshing in today's world. How do you, um, in, 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 in relation to what you just said, I mean, and, and, and the way the current things are going with the military, all branches, because I, I don't feel like that's much of a thing now. Um, it's not so much as, can you do the job? It's, you know, can we check the boxes? I feel like in a lot of cases. I am hoping that the SF regiment kind of stays separate from that. Like they always kind of historically have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a perfect system. You know, no system is, you know, selection isn't perfect. The Q course isn't perfect. None of it is right. Mm-hmm. But it's the best I've ever been a part of without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and understand that like, like I've trained with the guys in SMUs, both green and blue, and they very much have a good system as well. I'm not saying we're the only one, but it's the only one I've been part of. And it's yeah. a pretty rare thing. Um, and it's like, there, there's always historically been this political pressure from the army as a whole from the outside coming into SF Mm -hmm. for that very reason. I think, I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, it's like they don't want it to be what it is because they don't feel like they have control over who gets to do what and what they do because it's separate from the rest of the army in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. And like, I think, I think the Ranger regiment doesn't get the same sort of friction because it's, it's like big army and more so. Whereas SF is kind of like, we're kind of like, um, we're almost like anti-establishment within the establishment. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, we're not doing it that way. That way is stupid. We're doing it our way. You, and, you know, and I think that, go, go ahead, go sorry. Ahead. No, no, I was, and I was just going to, I don't know, I was just going to say, so in 2009, I had to go to, um, I got mobilized in Fort Sill to do drills on duties. And, you know, we had to go to this uh, course that was instructed by three former uh, CAG guys. And, um, you know, they, they could talk a little bit about things that they did here and there, but he basically explained, um, your, that world, the exact same way. Um, and I just think that it's hilarious to me because they, they were asked to look at like how the army is currently training soldiers to do things, you know, and back then, you know, it was, uh, you know, do things in order, step A, step B, step step C, even though, you know, step C is the problem. You still gotta go through A and B first. Whereas now it's like, you know. Know, go straight to the problem and fix it. And, and they were like blown away that the army is still doing things in these, like these old archaic ways, but they kind of explained the differences between, um, what you guys did and, and what the conventional forces do as, 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 as like, it was like almost exactly the same words. Yeah. And it's, it really, I mean, to be honest, I would not have made it a whole career in the army. Otherwise I, I just wouldn't have. Um, I was in the infantry first and I butted heads with my squad leaders and my team leaders and upset all kinds of people, mainly just because I was like, well, why don't we do it this way? Yeah. So wait. that was, that was never the right answer. The question, you know, never, never the right question to ask. Oh yeah. Right. The yeah, question I Tyree and I were both infantry as well. Yeah. The, the question I want to ask, since we jump way into the future, let's jump back into the past of uh, why you joined the military and how uh, Mr. Uh, I'm sorry, Private Little was in the, in the uh, infantry <laughs> starting off. Private Little was a leadership challenge. 
<laughs> um, looking back on it, I was quite honestly a pain in the ass. I, I must have been. And like, they always said the same thing to me, right? They always said that, uh, they said they said that I was not a garrison soldier. <laughs> right. <laughs> that I was just fine. We were actually doing something. But when they had to like handle me day to day, they, I aged them before. Right before yeah. the Gulf War. Oh, right before the Gulf War. I was going to say, yeah, I'm old. That doesn't line up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm old. Dude. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no, Ty- Tyree and I were both there in 2001. Good old Fort Benning, Georgia. What, what, uh, where were you at at Fort Benning? What was your unit at, uh, for basic? Oh, God, you know, I don't even remember, to be honest. <laughs> I, it's been, I, that's like 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. hard hitting questions we come up yeah. with, right? Yeah, yeah I, I am not sure, to be honest. Um, I mean, I'm, I could go find my certificate. Oh, forget about it. Forget about it. I did. I did so much shit after that that honestly, I totally forgot. Yeah, Although I, I, I will say, I had, I had a really cool drill sergeant. Yeah. Um, you know, he's one of the drills for our platoon, and he had like an extensive background in like martial arts. He was kind of philosophical, and what I liked about him was that he wasn't always yelling. He was yelling when he needed to be yelled at. Mm-hmm. So when he yelled at you, you knew you'd done fucked up, Joe. Like you were almost yeah. like, "Oh God, I've upset the good one." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That means so much more, right? Yeah, no, no. I, I really like to this day. Like he was one of the first big influences on my military career. You know, and I'm, I'm glad you said that. Um, mostly because, because uh, I, I, I kind of pride myself on trying to be that that type of drill. I mean, nobody nobody responds to screaming and yelling. You know, I mean, some people do, but like, you know, that's just not. You're not effective. Um, you, you, that means you can't train. It's your default. You don't know what you're doing. But like, if you yeah. can, if you can effectively communicate with with soldiers in training, um, and kind of talk to them like people, and then you know, from yeah. like as a, your normal speaking tone. Whenever you do have to um, speak up or be loud or yell, then they know you're serious. Um, and I, I've, I've found that that has been like the most effective way to get through troops. And, you know, you know, respect goes both ways. You know, I can't ask them yeah. to respect me just because I'm a guy in a hat, you know, and I've been in the army for X amount of years. This drill sergeant was this huge influence on my early military career right and then like him and like a lot of the senior guys when i first got to group and i'm sure we'll cover that later but like honestly that spec four mafia that i hated for smoking me and being stupid when i was a private mm-hmm. i owe them everything because if they hadn't knocked up knocked the civilian off of me mm-hmm. and knocked the smart ass out of me mm-hmm. i wouldn't have been as successful as i was when i got to group so as much as I hated it then, I think that was a necessary part of the process for me to become a good soldier. I really do. What unit, what, what unit were you in when you ran into these these specialists in Spec 4 Mafia? Was this your first unit after base? Yes, it was. Right yes, on. it was. Where did you go? Yep. <laughs> first Ranger Battalion. All <laughs> right. Nice. Right so I got, beat on, I got beat on bad. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can imagine. I've heard stories, especially from uh, Ranger Bat back then. Um, yep. it's a and, whole different and honestly than, too yeah. like to be candid like I wasn't a huge success at Ranger Bat I was good in the field but I just I just pissed them off left and right and what's interesting though is looking back on it how can I phrase this so at the time 
I thought I was getting fucked over left and right. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, they were taking care of me. Like they saw the potential in me and they were teaching me and scoring me away. Looking back in the way I got treated compared to how some of the other people got treated. If they thought I was a total fuck up, it would have gone differently. Yeah. Now I couldn't see that then because I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, but I can see it now looking back. And like a I'm, form of tough love. Yep. And I'm very, very grateful to them now, even though I left for selection as soon as I possibly could. i will never forget i'll never forget like we're doing some cqb training and we got some guys from group coming out to do it with us and we're all getting yelled at and doing push-ups in the field and spit shining our boots in the field and you know we're all in high and tights and these guys come in on helicopters sitting on the skids wearing like ratty ass bdus that are almost rotting off them and like rock and roll concert t-shirts yeah. And their hairs are all, their hairs all out of spec, you know, and they all got stubble. And I'm looking at them and I'm looking at us and I'm looking at them. I'm like, I'm in the wrong job. I need to be over there. Yeah. That soft music playing in the background, just like, fuck yeah, look at this shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's the way to live. Yeah. That's all you, you know, needed. That's all you needed to see was uh, you shining boots in the field and then walking up with a Def Leppard t-shirt and it was a wrap. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Van Halen. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 One was Van Halen, one was Black Sabbath. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, even better. Even better. <laughs> you know, so I, th- I, I kind of feel like as a young soldier, I was a little cheated. Um, so Tyree and I were stationed together in Germany and under uh, the Big Red One in uh, 126 Infantry. And, um, okay. And so, you know, being over there in Germany, like there, I think there's one group that's over there, but we never saw them, right? Yeah, 10th group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they're based out of like Stuttgart. Yep. And then, and then, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was one long range reconnaissance group based out of Darmstadt and their only requirement was BE five, uh, Ranger qualified. But other than that though, like we, we never really saw a ton of Ranger tabs. We had, there was some, and we never saw, definitely never saw any long tabs until we got, uh, Lieutenant Sokol. Um, he was a group guy who commissioned and then went very, you know, big army. But, you know, like now you, you, we see a lot of uh, re- recruiting for special forces um, on bases and you can go to these meetings. And I think, I think the time that we were in Germany, it, in probably in 2003, um, there might've been one, you know, like call to arms basically for, for, for being at, you know, trying out for SF or whatever and submitting a packet one time. Otherwise, like, I mean, I knew about special forces, but it always seemed like this, like far off distant thing that was unattainable because I don't know, maybe where we were or the, the, the world that we lived in mech infantry, like, you know, how are we going to be spe- SF? Yeah. It felt like it was something that was a little bit of out of reach for us, but we were still pretty happy where we were. I mean, at least I was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. I mean, we got to work and we got to work with some folks while we were deployed in 04 so uh, we had a an oda nearby that we that actually tyree got to kind of run guns with oh yeah it was great oh cool but let's not even get too deep into that yeah. what what uh, how is the training going into uh sf because this is something i mean you can tell us some information folks who uh who wouldn't know any better about the, the difference between regular infantry training and the this super high speed training. So how was that training going in? Was so it, was selection, it? right? So yeah. selection, 
is a really interesting school and it's not really a school. It's just an assessment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they actually teach you a little block of land nav before they torture you with failing at land nav so that they can call it a school for army purposes. So you actually get two, two certificates, at least I did back then. I don't know if that's still the case. Things change a lot, but the really cool thing about selection is that there's literally no yelling at all. There's none. You either do it to standard or you just vanish. <laughs> and it's, um, it's really cool, right? So the whole thing is designed to look for a certain kind of person that honestly is, is a bit rare in the military. And they do this a lot of different ways, right? But one of the interesting things I found was that a lot of studs from the conventional army couldn't handle the lack of information. So this whole thing is set up where there's a whiteboard and you have to check the whiteboard every hour and your next formation and the equipment you need will be on the whiteboard at some point, right? So your fire guard checks it all night and then in, sometimes there's just nothing happening during the day and they do that on purpose so that your wheels will spin faster in your head and you got to go check the whiteboard. And you know some sort of suck fest is coming up, but you don't know what it is or when because they don't tell you in advance. You know, there's no POI given out. There's no schedule. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. And I literally saw a ranger tabbed E6 lose his shit and go quit. Because he's like, well, what are we doing next? I'm like, I don't know. Well, they got to tell us. I don't think they do. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do things for reasons now. Yeah. yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, the other part of it was just the other thing that I saw happen to a lot of people that were studs is like it's designed to kind of test the endurance you measure in days and weeks and months as much as the endurance you measure in minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this cumulative effect of lack of sleep, lack of food, and all these really intense physical events you have to negotiate through. And I saw a lot of guys that were PT studs that when their body started to break down, because I know for myself, there was a point where I was like, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be the same again, but I'm going to just stick with it because I hear that if you die in training, they give a green beret to you. So I'm just going to stick around and get it either way. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. <laughs> I like that so, mentality. Hey, Balls to the wall, baby. But that's, I think you kind of have to have that to make it through. But it's like, I saw these guys that just like physically were just specimened, right? And then when their bodies started to break down and they felt like they were falling apart, a lot of them would quit. Because their, their self-worth was tied up in that, not in the accomplishment, I think. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that happens. Like you, you never know how long a run is. You never know how long a road march is. They just don't tell you. Mm. Like they'll, they'll open up a clipboard and they'll go, Canada, the next training event is a road march along a specified path. The path will be marked with chem lights in the hours of darkness and white engineer tape in the hours of daylight. Do not deviate from this path unless instructed to do so by cadre. Do your best. And you just go. <laughs> and you don't know if it's, you know, a six-mile road march or a 26-mile road march. You just don't know. Yeah. So you've got to do your best the entire time. 
you're just on for the ride at that point you're strapped yeah. on the roller coaster yep yep you know and i think the hard thing about that is like you know um like i'm well first of all i'm terrible at cardio but like if you tell me i'm gonna run 500 meters then i can i can give you my all for 500 meters but if you tell me i'm gonna run two miles well now i gotta pace myself for that two miles um you know so yeah, I feel like it's probably the same with a ruck. If I'm going to ruck two miles into like a force march, then yeah, I can do that. But you know, do I need to conserve energy? Do I need to you know push it all out? I mean, you know what I mean? It's well, that's see, I was, I was right. really good at rucking, right? Yeah. Which which boded well for me because rucking, I I think my theory is that rucking is weighted heavier than running, which makes sense. Even though big army seems to value running above all else, I've never really understood that, right? So rucking, I think, is weighted heavier than running, just from the people I see make it through and talking to other people, right? Because mm. they never tell you the standards, even after you make it. And I have always been just an okay runner, you know? Mm. Like, uh, you had to do a, a five-mile run in 40 minutes periodically in SF, right? And every time we did it, I'm like, oh, Christ, <laughs> I am going to hate this so bad. And I'd finish it just like dead because I'm just not a good runner. Yeah. And like the runs we did in selection, because you had your PT test run and you had three more runs. And every single one of those, I ran until I had tunnel vision at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I'm just going to go, you know, at a seven, like six, six and change, just under seven minute pace. Mm -hmm. Because I know that if I really don't give a shit about dying, I can keep that up probably long enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to go as much as it is, you know, until they tell me I can stop. You're a special kind of guy going out there, yeah. going into this. You, you have the right attitude. Mm-hmm. You, you clearly, you understood that this whole thing was a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint all the time. So you yeah. gotta, you gotta know how to play the game. And I think you got that off the, off the jump. So that was good on you seeing that because I, I'm sure there was tons of, like you say, PT studs or, you know, super brainy dudes who, you know, assume they would have passed or got selected, but got bounced sooner than later because they just didn't match, you know? Oh, and the real one too, and this is like the soul crushing junk punch for guys, is that you can pass every standard and not get picked. Mm. Hmm. So they call them 21 day non-selects because you get there and there's like the in-processing and PT tests and swim tests and all that. And you have three days of actual, or three weeks of actual like hardcore training, three days, three weeks. And at the end of the three weeks, you can literally have passed everything up until then. And when the board meets, they can decide not to pick you. Hmm. So the guys that come from like, you know, cause in a lot of army schools, if you just don't quit, as long as you pass the PT test and you don't quit, you'll probably be fine. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's not the case here. Um, I'll never forget the last formation. They call them gates. The end of each week is a gate. And they call a big formation and they call out roster numbers because you didn't have a name or a rank. You just had a number on a white piece of engineer tape sewn on your uniform in a couple different places. I was 174. I still remember that. Yeah, I don't know. Never forget it, probably. I'm sure. Almost 30 years later. Yeah. <laughs> so they would call out roster numbers into two formations. And they wouldn't tell you if the ones they were calling were staying or going which was just, you know, I'm sure so they could amuse themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Another mindful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame them. But uh, I'll never forget the last one. Like 
they called out the roster numbers. And, and the last one, you really don't know because everybody at that one has passed everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you're not sure who's going to be gotten rid of. You know, there's no reason to believe that the guy who just passed everything wouldn't pass now, right? Man. So, the yeah, so they're calling these numbers out, and you're not sure if you've passed or failed, right? And your heart's sinking, and you've got, like, the cold sweats and all that. And then uh, Sergeant Major of Sweat, you know, the Special Warfare Center in school, who was about, this guy was about four foot 11. <laughs> he was, like, one of the smallest green braids I've ever seen. He walks out, and he goes, gentlemen, welcome to Special Forces. And we're all, like, yelling and screaming. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see the other formation just like looking around in shock, like they don't know what to do or where to go. Yeah. And that was kind of, yeah. Do you remember that? Um, this might be a little off topic, but do you remember that Sergeant Major's name? You know, um, I was talking about him the other day with the guy who knew him better than I did. And we were talking about him. And for the life of me right now, I cannot remember his name, but there were two of them. There were brothers. And it'll probably come to me right after we end the podcast. Probably it reminds me of, uh, you know, him being so small. It reminds me of, uh, what was it, the, the, the guy's nickname, the Giant Killer. Uh, but he, he was SF during Vietnam. Yeah, no, uh, this, this is a different guy. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Crazy story. Yeah. And, and I'm exaggerating. He wasn't really four foot away. <laughs> okay. He was, he was, you know, he was, he was over five feet tall, but he was still kind mm-hmm. of a, a leprechaun. He must be a taller guy. So... Yeah, no, he was taller than the giant killer. Giant killer was tiny. Yeah. <clears throat> I wish I had a, a a name out there, nickname out there for people with, to to fear. <laughs> giant killer. Fear. Hell yeah. Little. Yeah, what was your nickname again? No Sound Brown, maybe. No Sound Brown. That's, that's, <laughs> there's something to fear about that. Right. Silent farts. So, <laughs> going into uh, you, you get selected. And uh, I'm assuming that the, the the world of the weight is lifted off your shoulders, but holy shit, you've been selected. Well, now it's so time to really get real. Here's the thing about that, right? So, like, first off, the speech the Sergeant Major, whose name I'm sure will come to me in a minute, gave us was that for the rest of your life, you know, now that you've been selected for the rest of your life, whether you even make it through the Q course or not, the entire regiment will be judged by you in everything you do and don't ever embarrass the regiment. And that kind of sit, sat with me, right? Like pretty heavy. And then honestly, the Q course, so the Q course has kind of an inverted percentage of pass or fail from selection. So it's still by no means an easy course. There's about 25% to 30% make it through selection, depending on the class. And then about, you know, 70, 75% make it through the Q course, mm-hmm. right? And the Q course, I was more confident of making it through mm-hmm. once we were in that, especially because we, it was, you were very much treated like adults. It was the same as selection. You get treated like adults, except that in the Q course, they actually talked to you and made friends with you. In selection, they didn't even talk to you unless they had to. Well, so it, it wasn't that, but the thing that got me was, so you're familiar with a guy named uh, Plaster? He was a special forces guy in Vietnam. He wrote that famous book on uh, being a sniper, the ultimate sniper. Not, not, no, that's not ringing a bell with me. All right. So he's, it might be a little bit before you guys' time, but uh, he'd been Mac Visog in Vietnam. 
And while I was in the Q course, they declassified all the Mac v. Sog stuff. So the book he had written that he'd been waiting to publish until they declassified it, he was able to publish. And we got back from Robin Sage. So I knew that unless, you know, I got a DUI, I had passed, mm-hmm. right? Because Robin Sage is the last big test. Mm-hmm. It's the field event. There's some academic stuff after that, but I was never worried about that. Right. So I got back and I was pretty sure I passed and I got this book. I picked it up actually in the bookstore at our building for SWIG. And it was all about what these guys had done in Vietnam. And remember, we hadn't had Afghanistan or Iraq yet. You know, we hadn't really had anything major since Vietnam. And I'm reading about just the superhuman stuff these guys had done. Just like you read it, you're like, how how can anyone human actually do that? It's like something out of a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Franklin Miller, who had a sucking chest wound and a, a ser- several serious other bullet shot wounds and was the least member, least injured member of his team and brought everyone out to the LZ one at a time under fire in a three-click movement with those wounds. Jeez. One at a time, dragged him through the jungle while he's getting shot at. You know, or yeah. this guy they called uh, Mad Dog, Mad Dog Shriver. The last time he was seen alive, he was jumping Halo out of a helicopter over Laos or Cambodia, I forget which. And he climbs out of the helicopter onto the windshield, flips the pilot, the bird, backflips off the helicopter into a lightning storm, and nobody ever sees him again. <laughs> I like it. So, like, I'm reading this stuff, and in like a week, I'm getting my tab and my beret. Right. And just the weight of it started to settle in that it was now my responsibility to live up to that. Right. See what I mean? Like it wasn't enough that these guys were heroes. It was that if called upon, I had to do the same or better because now I was part of the same place, the same thing, the same tribe. And that's kind of, honestly, that's kind of stayed with me my entire life. Like everything I do, I'd rather die than let down the regiment because like, yeah, that's, like that that's Sergeant heavy. major said, yeah. Like that Sergeant major said, you know, even after you retire, you're still a green beret, right? Like you're going to be judged on that forever. And the other SF guy is going to be judged on you for everything you do. Like there's a, I'm not going to name names cause I don't feel like talking smack on the internet. Thank you. But there's a guy on the <laughs> East coast who who is an SF guy? We were in the same same group for a while. Who is now involved in a shooting sport, and it is widely known that he cheated to get his classification in this shooting sport. And I hate him for it, straight up, because he embarrassed the regiment. He made us all look bad, and that that to me is a sin bigger than any other yeah sorry kind of heavy but no yeah no no like you what 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 you're what i'm what my takeaway from all this is that to do that particular job it's all like deep intrinsic value and meaning um and that you know you talked about some of the guys that you know they, they just wanted to be sf to like you know wear the cool hat and have the thing and say they were sf whatever but then you had the guys that like really want to do the work and had have this like this deeper 
um, connection to it, uh, like yourself. Um, these guys who talk stories about like, that's where it's at. And so when you, when you do something to, um, you know, I guess bring shame to it, you know, and you're a martial artist. So, I mean, like, I, I feel like that's, that's your whole life. That's, that's you. Um, and so, so to, to do something that brings shame to your profession is just, I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you there. It's, it's, uh, it's unholy. Yeah. It's and, like and uh, the flip side too, though. Like the flip side to that is that man, like, so all that training we were just talking about, which is my entry ticket, right? Like all that was, was the, the price of admission, mm-hmm. you know? And then once I got there, yes, we had some guys before nine 11 that probably should have retired prior to that. You know what I mean? They were still kind of just hanging on. But I don't even want to take anything away from those guys. The guys that I talked about is kind of like dead weight because it was mm-hmm. just that they had passed their willingness to do it anymore. You know, it was kind of right. done for them. I'm not taking away from them when they were younger by any means. But I got to tell you, man, like, like when I first got there, there were still some senior NCOs and some officers that had done like unbelievable things in Vietnam. And then like pretty much anybody, you know, at the higher levels of like team leadership as an NCO was around for all the Central and South American stuff, which I got a taste of right at the end of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm going to frame it this way, right? Like everybody loves to watch, you know, these, these movies, like and TV shows, like game of Thrones or, you know, the Witcher or, you know, like the movie, um, the movie, the Troy about the Iliad, you know, from Homer mm-hmm. stuff like King Arthur, any of that stuff. Right. That ticket, that price of admission allowed me to be around people like that. Like there are heroes out there in the SF regiment, the equal of anybody from history or legend. Like it's, it's right up there with the Spartans, with the samurai, with the Knights Templar, with all these like historic warrior groups, right? Like they're the equal. Our current elite warrior culture is in, to my belief, the equal of anything in history. Yeah. And there's heroes there that most people will never even know their names. And I got to be in their company. Yeah. So I would totally feel and understand the disrespect you would feel when someone would cheat uh, when they represent you. Yeah. And when it's, it's not even me, really. It's it's the guys I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say represent you. I mean, I mean yeah. once you're into that, that's you. That's your life. That's That's you. That's what you stand for, you know, and uh, that's heavy duty. But on that note, for a quick little second, guys, we got to take a little break. We're going to come back with Mr. Graybeard, actual Matthew Little uh, on before I forget. Hey everybody, welcome back to Before I Forget. Tyree and Kevin here. Hey, say hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Right on, and we're going to continue with the Matt Little, uh, Mr. Gray, actual himself. 
right. So, yeah. so what are we talking about? My dogs went, went, went crazy. <laughs> we were talking about the the feeling you, you get when you realize mm-hmm. that the the weight mm-hmm. that is that uh, brotherhood that you jumped in joined into when you uh, got that tab and that hat. And we're going to talk about that and continuing into uh, your first deployment with them. Yeah, so I think I think this is important too, right? Like, I think that's true for any military unit, though. Like, I think it's a little bit more heightened for SF because of the history and, and the lineage and what you go through to get there. Mm-hmm. But what makes a soldier fight? He fights for the guys beside him, right? Right. So it's that same thing. It's like that not wanting to let them down. I think it's key for anybody in the military. And that carries over into life, too. That makes you a team player. Which, you know, despite, despite the, uh, the cowboy reputation of SF is everything in SF. We just have a small team. That's all. Right. And I was going to say, uh, and, and to that point, so Tyree and I were both infantry. And, um, and it, it, you know, <clears throat> well, I, I loved reading stories about, you know, um, uh, Medal of Honor recipients um, and just the stuff that they did, uh, just the insane stuff. So like you were talking, I mean, just the insane things that these people were capable of. I think probably one of my favorite stories is Roy Benavidez. Yes, um, mm-hmm. just insane what he was able to do. In, in and it just blows my mind. Honestly, it really does. Um, but when you talk about like just being regular infantry. Um, you know, and you talk about like, you know, you, you read stories about, you know, the, the warrior class throughout history, which like you're talking about, like, you know, that, and, and for the bulk of it, that's, that's your regular grunt on the ground doing, you know, these random things. And that's actually kind of one of the things that Tyree and I were uh, talking about with like, one of the reasons we started doing this podcast is like, just being regular infantry, like, you know, the big picture, nobody wants to hear our story, right? Like that's, that's kind of how it works out. Like you can find books written by Navy SEALs and, you know, these dudes and those dudes and whatever else, but mostly Navy SEALs. And, <laughs> and, uh, you, and you, you know, there's not, there's not a ton of stories about like the regular guy on the ground doing, you know, these extraordinary things, but, um, yeah, especially yeah, no, it's I, not a comic or a cartoon because they want to make jokes of infantry, regular old infantry guy, beetle and all those kind of dudes. No, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're good dudes, man. I promise. Well, hey, Sergeant Rock was infantry, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sergeant Rock. You can't knock that. You can't knock that. <laughs> he was badass. But yeah, so that, that that was kind of that was kind of part of it though. Is like when you know when you when you look at like the, the, the history of of you know the army infantry um and, and what those guys were able to do in previous conflicts and wars um throughout uh, American history, just the the cool guy stuff that they were able to, to do. Um, and at the same time, um, the flip to the cool guy stuff, the, the price that they still had to pay, right. Because, you know, they're, they're bearing the brunt of the war and, um, no, so like, I, I think in that regard, I think we can kind of relate to what you're talking about. Um, because I mean, I, I hate to see, you know, even now, you know, somebody that's out of the military, but they were infantry and they're out there being an asshole. Right. Like, you know, I, matter of fact, I saw a dude, 
at the bar. So I'm, I'm in near Fayetteville, Arkansas, and there was a guy out at the bar one night. You know, uh, I don't know if he was infantry or not, but he, he had definitely deployed. But he's out there just acting crazy and being a dumbass. But he's wearing a shirt that says "Cut me some slack." I went to Iraq, and I just wanted to. Yeah, that that always yeah. rubs me the wrong way. Right, like that. That's not no man. Just because you went somewhere doesn't mean doesn't give you like the right or the privilege to act like an asshole. Yeah. Well, and and also like, and I'm not taking away from. I am not taking away from anybody who tries to sincerely thank me or anybody else for having served. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I get what they're trying to do, but it makes me always a little bit uncomfortable because it wasn't, it wasn't a sacrifice for me. Like, I mean, yeah. Were there hard things I had to do? I mean, my, my big joke that I tell people when I teach my classes, cause I get, I get a mix, right? Even when I'm teaching mm -hmm. law enforcement, I get a mix of veterans and, and not veterans. And I always tell them that you could sum up the first six years of my military career with one question. You want me to do what? <laughs> right? So, I mean, yeah, there were hardships, but it wasn't, none of them was something I didn't want to do. You're right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wanted to do this. I chose this. It wasn't, it was a privilege to me, not something to, not something I feel like I ever need to be thanked for. Because, like, it's what I wanted. You know, right. if that makes sense. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I still to this day. So I've made next month will be 21 years that I've been in, and I, I don't, I still don't know how to respond to that question or that that comment when people say like, "Thank you for your service." And a lot of times it seems not, not that I'm trying to like, like, like you said, like I don't, I'm not out there hunting for that. I'm not that guy going to Applebee's for my free meal on Veterans Day. I actually they stay give, home. They give us a free meal on Veterans Day. Apparently, <laughs> I've never gone. I, I I make it a point to stay home. I really do. Like I don't I don't I don't like to be a part of that. I don't ask for veteran discounts. It's not a thing. But when people say that to me, um, sometimes it, it even comes off as kind of just disingenuous. Like they just like I just I know that I'm supposed to say this thing to this person because they did this thing. And you know, in in other cases, like I mean, I even started like I was having a real bad time of it, and I was even asking the questions like why. What do you thank me for exactly? Do you do you know? And um, generally, it was just oh, because you're in the military. It's like, well, there's a, there's a lot of people in the military. Like, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. It was just the whole thing, but I'm I still am very uncomfortable with that with that statement. I just thanks and yeah, I, and the guns. <laughs> I I pretty much answer like one of two ways. Like, if I don't know them that well, I just try to be sincere and go thank you mm -hmm. because it you know, they're trying, they're, they mean something by it. So it's not like they're not well-intentioned. Yeah. And then if I know them well enough, I'm like, thank you, but I just did it because I liked it. <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, and I think some of it for me even, and that Tyree, you might, I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but like <clears throat> when you can compare what we did during GWAT compared to say, you know, the, you know, airborne infantrymen that jumped in on D-Day, Oh Jesus, yeah. I mean, two two different things. Like I, 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 whenever, well, it's been a minute since I've seen one, but I, I mean, I used to see, you know, World War II veterans. Matter of fact, I was at a gas station, guy wearing a World War II veteran hat, had a, a purple heart and a CIB on it, and uh, I just got all giddy. You know, I was like, oh, well, this guy's a celebrity to me. Um, met another fella who earned his purple heart 
at the Battle of the Bulge. And I asked him, I was like, what did you Purple Heart? He said, you ever heard of the Battle of the Bulge? And I was like, you couldn't be kidding me. You know, uh, his story was crazy. He said that he and his his, his team were firing at some Germans uh, on some uh, behind a hedgerow, couldn't get clear shots, and they, they wanted to conserve ammo. So they fixed bayonets and charged, jumped his hedgerow, started like going to town on these Germans. Uh, and when everything's said and done, you know, they're, you know, they're, his team is still standing. And one of his buddies looks at him and says, Hey man, I, I think you, I think you're bleeding. And he looked down and he, he took a bayonet to the gut. Oh yeah. Handing out poppies in front of Walmart, you know, when I met him, <laughs> um, and that was probably 2012 or 13, you know, it's, 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 it's wild, but like it, it's, it's guys like that, that I'm like, Oh my gosh, did I even do anything? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, the 101st in World War II. Oof. I mean, everybody's seen Band of Brothers, but that was real. Like, that's... Right. He really did all that. It's not made up. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's not Hollywood. Yeah, they actually did that. And the yeah, reason yeah. why they did it is because, one, they were told to. <laughs> Two, yeah. uh, that, that, the goes, guy, that goes back to, you want me to do what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. the, yeah. The, the guys next to him, they're out there with him, and that's the most important thing. I think we can all yeah. say, like, uh, clearly, uh, the only way besides being told to is uh i'm gonna do this for my buddy like the, that's the mm-hmm. reason why he went and grabbed those guys wounded with a second chest wound all that distance you know it's it's for your mm-hmm. buddies i can give a crap about these awards and all that kind of stuff it's just to exactly i, I want to do this for my friend hopefully he would do the same thing for me because this is what we both said that we would do when we joined this thing it's like the mob yeah. to me kind of like a mafia and like uh like when you're in SF, right? Like it's very tribal. So like your team doesn't, you don't interact on a day-to-day basis with the other teams, mm-hmm. right? You're doing your own thing. You're doing your own training. You're doing your own stuff. You might deploy in a different cycle. You might be doing different missions, all this stuff, right? So it's it's very tribal and it's tribal even like the bigger level. Like, you know, it's, our group is better than their group. My battalion is better than his battalion. My company is better than his company. But the guys I really know are the other 11 guys on my team kind of thing, you know? Right. And I can tell you there was a guy on my team on my last trip over that I wanted to kill. Like, I, I literally wanted to kill him and thought about it. I contemplated <laughs> You know what I do now when he comes to town? We go and we have dinner and we have drinks and we laugh about it because we're family. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's, it's kind of that family feeling. Like, you don't always get along with your family, but they're your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you'll live or die for them. Yeah. Yeah. No better sure. way to put it right there. <clears throat> uh, with me and Kevin, we've been interacting with each other in many different ways from me meeting his family to him meeting my family, uh, everything. Whatever you can think of, we've been together doing that, and that's just because he's my brother. I've been pissed off at him more times than I can count. I'm sure he's been pissed off at me, too, for reasons. But, I mean, either way, at the end of the day, I'm still going to do whatever I can for him, and I would hope that he would do the same for me. It's not even a hope. I know. So, yeah, yeah, we get it. We we get the feeling. So, actually, in the... So since we've been doing, so this is our, the start of our second season, right? So we just did uh, our first season, 26 episodes. Uh, we, so we started doing this podcast last October. 
And uh, since then, the, that the, the family, so we, we left active duty in 2005. The family has kind of, you know, we're spread out now. Like Tyree's in California, I'm in Arkansas, and the rest of our you know, platoon and our companies is all over the world. Um, some are still serving, some are not. And we, what we, since we've been doing this, it's actually kind of like helped bring that group back together um, to the point where we have a pretty sizable reunion coming up in June down in Florida. Uh, nice. we're definitely all looking forward to, but it's, we, we definitely, I will say we, we, we kind of lost it for a little bit for several years there actually, um, where we were just weren't communicating as much. I mean, some of us would stay in touch here and there, but definitely not, um, the frequency, you know, that it is now and definitely, definitely not like following through with reunion plans. We always talk about doing reunions, but you know, now we're actually like following through and things are paid for people are going. It's so, yeah, it's, it's pretty badass. Like we're, we're super excited about all of it. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, I, we, we definitely get the, the, the family vibe. Um, cause that's what the military is. Um, whenever people ask me, it's like, do you think I should join the military? It's like, I don't know, man, do you like having a big ass family? Yeah. A very dysfunctional one. Super dysfunctional. Right. One. Yeah, exactly. With a lot of tough love. Yeah. Tons of it. <laughs> well, not, maybe not. Maybe not so much anymore. The army has definitely changed quite a bit. It has, but um, yeah. you have a, a different experience. At what point did you start the uh, your military? I'm sorry, police career in law enforcement. So, when I was wrapping up the Q course, Mogadishu had just happened, right? Mm. And everybody was basically doing nothing. And I was talking to all the guys at Bragg, and it was actually a guy from CAG that I used to shoot with on the weekends that he's like, he's like, I don't know, man, I might, I might, you know, stay 20th and maybe try to go be a Chicago cop, you know, get some action that way. Listen, he's like, get the training from 20th group and go be the big city cop because we're not doing a damn thing. And I'm like, mm, okay, that makes sense. So I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So I went to Chicago because it was the biggest, roughest city I could find. New York had already gentrified. And, uh, and honestly, I got exactly what I was looking for, at least back then, you know, for probably over half my career. And then things started to change in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. But this combination of like 20th group, and being a cop in Chicago was the best possible deal for somebody like me. It, it really like, I unintentionally had found the biggest scam I could to get what I wanted. Because especially after 9-11, there was stuff going on in SF. There was definitely stuff going on in Chicago. And both the police department and the army had their own flavors of bureaucratic bullshit, mm -hmm. but they were different flavors of bureaucratic bullshit. So when I get fed up with one, I could go to the other for a while. When I get fed up with that one, I could go to the other one again. Yeah. So like I got over, I was shamming like a specialist. Like <laughs> I did half each of two careers. I've got two pensions and I get, I got credit for all of it. Right. Like it was, it was fantastic. I got to do all the stuff I wanted to do. Can't and man, can't remember that. And they're they're different. Like the how can I put it? 
So the threat level is higher in SF, right? Mm-hmm. And consequentially, like the things you can do are also at a higher level. Like you can call in JDAMs, <laughs> you know, and right. gunships, yeah. right? But the sheer volume of violent encounters I was in as a cop oh. was just astronomical. Oh, yeah. Like it was through the roof. Especially because of the kind of cop I was and the neighborhoods I did it in. So, and then, you know, like I wrapped up my career in Chicago being a boss on the SWAT team and running the training for the SWAT team. And honestly, that felt almost like an SF SF gig to me. Like we were doing a lot of the same things. We were just doing it in a green uniform instead of a multicam one. And, you know, our our AMRAP was painted green. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it really wasn't that different, except yeah. I got to go home at night and not sleep in a plywood shack. Right. I've heard the same thing from a lot of, uh, like I said, I was LAPD for 13, 14 years, and I worked on Skid Row for the majority of those years. And I can attest to the fact that, yeah, you're going to have some heavy-duty fighting in combat, but those random pop-up fights you get on the middle of the street in the middle of the city while you're doing patrols or, or things like that are pretty special. So uh, I, I totally get that, man. That's... Yeah. No, absolutely. And I got to do some cool stuff on the police department. I got to do narcotics and gang work. I got to do the SWAT team. I got to do detective work. Um, I even... We had a heavy weapon team on the detective bureau, and they weren't a SWAT team. But they were like, you know, when you go lock up the homicide offender, but it doesn't call for the SWAT team, you probably shouldn't send the overweight detective with the five-shot revolver. Right. (laughs) You should probably send the detective who at least knows how to shoot, move, and communicate. Mm -hmm. So that was a pretty cool gig. Four days a week, I was Barney Miller. Remember the old TV show? (laughs) And one day a week, I was like a SWAT team wearing suits. So that wasn't bad. And then... Like I said, the SWAT team itself and running the training for the SWAT team was immensely rewarding because I felt like I was doing some good for that community as well. Like, here's a funny story for you. I think it was, it wasn't our last selection that I ran, but it was like the selection before that that I ran for the SWAT team. We brought this kid on and I was a big fan of this kid. Like, he's a real, real hard worker, real switched on. He did a couple goofy things in selection that almost got him bounced, but he did them for the right reasons and we gave him another chance and we were glad we did because he really like wired it tight and got good. I discovered during his operators course, because we do like the same kind of thing. We do a selection with them and then a three month course to teach them how to be SWAT guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm running that and he's in it and we're talking about how old he was and he'd been in the 82nd airborne as an NCO in combat. He wasn't born yet when I went to jump school. And bear in mind, he had to have been out of the army long enough to spend three years as a cop to even try out for SWAT. Yeah. So he'd probably been out of the army for five years and he wasn't born when I was in jump school. (laughs) That was when I realized that the gray wasn't just a cosmetic thing, that it was actually there for a reason. (laughs) Right. You know what though? That, that, that's, that that sounds really loud in my ears. Um, (laughs) But to me, that that that's like you're able to give back to this community 
to these people who have given you so much and allowed you to do all the things that you wanted to do in life. And man, that's um, like, can you ask for more? You know what I mean? Like, does it get better than that? You know, like no, here you I, are it, yeah, no, it all these years of training and all these years of experience and deployments and everything else. And you're saying, I have this for you, put it to good use. Yeah. And that's honestly why I do the training company now. Yeah. I mean, it's my retirement gig because I mean, yes, it gives me a little bit of extra money, but the main thing is that it allows me to give back and it allows me to be around my kind of people. Tell you us know. more about the training, the training company. When so, did that start? I started right as I retired from CPD, um, but I'd had it in mind for a little while that I was going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, wait. Before you got into that, was there any apprehension about what you're going to do after you retire from the department? So not during the retirement process. Mm-hmm. But if you don't mind, I'd like to come back to that in a minute because okay. there's actually something about psychologically dealing with not being that guy anymore. Okay. That I think would be good for people to hear if that's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So if you'll indulge me for a minute, I'll share a war story with you guys. Sure. And the reason I'm going to do this is because this is where the name of the company comes from. It actually isn't about my hair color at all, right? So my ODA, my team in SF, was probably chronologically the oldest team in the regiment on our last deployment, right? Our team leader has the regimental record for being the commander of an ODA. And you couldn't do it now. Like they've changed the rules so that you can't do it now, partially because of him. <laughs> <laughs> because he kept getting over and playing the system because he didn't want to be a staff guy, right? Mm -hmm. um, they tried to make him a major three times. He kept turning it down. They finally told him that they were going to riff him out of the army if he turned it down again. So he went warrant. And you can <laughs> command an ODA as a warrant. So he ran the same ODA for an insane amount of years, like, like almost 20 years. Mm. And you just went to do that. Like usually it's 18 months to three years and you're gone. Right. Yeah. So he and my team sergeant were both right around 50. I was in my early forties. There was another guy in his, or two guys, I think Vinny might've been 50 and a couple of the guys in their forties and all the other guys were like the juniors and they were young. Right. And that was just, I mean, that's almost unheard of because the job is so hard on you physically, you know? Right. And these guys had just this accumulated, I mean, yeah, they were, they were National Guard, but they'd been to a million places and done a million things because even 20th Group is doing stuff in peacetime too, you know? Mm -hmm. And just the amount of experience and knowledge these guys had. So... We did this HVT one time and we got in a fight hitting the place and we wound up being involved in some pretty heavy fighting for a while after, right? For a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Called in airstrikes, you know, all this stuff. Finally, the fighting's over 
and we're going to try to get out of there. So Dave and I take two squads of Afghans and we go to secure the PZ for the birds to come in. And the PZ is right outside the village in this little hilltop and it's very exposed, but it's the only place they can come in. So we set up and we're there and we're waiting. And my interpreter comes running up to me, Ali. Ali was a larcenous little bastard. He'd been a, the high school wrestling champion of Afghanistan. He was in the movie Restrepo. Really? Yeah, he worked with them before us. So he comes running up because he knows me. And he's like, got this big smile on his face. And he goes, Commander Matt, because they all you're all a commander to them because you never tell them your real rank, right? So everybody's commander, right? So because you're you're leading them. So you've got to like outrank their battalion commander. Mm-hmm. Right. So he comes running up and he goes, Commander Matt, Commander Matt. Taliban on the ICOM, they say, everyone go get their guns. We get revenge for our fallen brothers. And remember, I've been fighting for a couple of days and I'm, I'm a little like, I'm, I tend to be aggressive by nature. So I'm like, all right, here we go. I get on the radio to Rick and Lenny. I'm like, hey guys, we're about to get hit. So have the birds racetrack. Stay where you're at. When we get hit, we'll fix them. You guys can flank them, and we'll get some more work done before we go home. So they're they're all set, ready to go. We're all set, ready to go, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. Like 45 minutes go by, and I'm getting pissed, man. I'm like, it's so like the Afghans to be late to the fight they're picking. I mean, really? Let's get this done. I want to go home and... (laughs) eating the defect and go lift weights and sleep for like 23 hours. So this goes on for a bit and Ali comes running up to me again. And this time he's not smiling ear to ear because like I said, he knows me and he's kind of like stepping up to me sideways. Like your little brother does when he doesn't want you to hit him. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at his feet and kind of like kicking his feet in the sand. And he looks up at me with this look on his face and he goes, commander Matt, I am so sorry. Taliban say it is the graybeards. Go hide your guns. No other brothers die today. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you pussies. I mean, God damn it. So apparently, because we were so old, we had a street name. The Taliban called us the graybeards. That's badass. That is awesome. So that's what I named the company after, right? Because the whole thing is like, I want to be to younger guys what these guys were to me. Yeah. I mean, they kept me alive. You know, Dude, the things awesome. they taught me kept me alive. So, like, that's the whole idea is I want to pass along to the next generation. And when they're old and gray, they can pass along to the one after them. And everybody builds on it, makes it better every time. Right. No, that's awesome. That's badass. I love that. But, yeah, I, the, was, I was so angry, dude. <laughs> I can I was imagine. so mad. Like, no, you get on that fucking radio and you tell them to get, the, get their asses down here right now. We're here. We're fighting. We're here. They said we're going to be here, so we are here now. Let's get this going and done. We're not Put it on in my, so, my yeah. calendar. It, my reminder keeps going off here on my iPhone. We got to fucking fight. We're not here to yeah. bullshit, buddy. You know, and that's a way. Don't cooler let name the beard in, intimidate you. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. That's a way. That's a way cooler name than what we got. We were the angry ants. The angry ants. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> this mouse has the back of the Bradleys. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. yeah, that's not bad though. You can kind of take that and you can make it into something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's one of those cool ants, like those big, 
the big the big fire ants on a binning. Oh, okay. dude, no, 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 no. Forget those. Have you been to Lewis? Oh, yeah. uh, just once for a couple weeks. So we're in the field at Lewis, and you know how they had the safety brief. You know, always leave this animal alone. Mm-hmm. cocky to woodpecker or whatever it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they give us a safety brief, and they're like, "Whatever you do, don't mess with the anthills." I'm like, "Okay, whatever." And we get out in the field, and I'm walking through the woods, and I see a 12 foot tall anthill. And I remember oh. thinking that even for a private in the army, you have to be an idiot if you're going to mess with a 12 foot tall anthill. I've seen those science fiction movies. I know how they end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, there's no way. I'm leaving that alone. Maybe that's what it was. They saw us and they were I don't know if I could have done that. They saw us. I don't know if I could have left it alone. You would have tackled it, you weirdo. (laughs) We would have had to pick all the ants off you or some crazy shit. (laughs) That's awesome. And you know it. No, yeah, no, for sure. You know, know, somebody dove into that thing. Somebody took all their clothes off and dove into it because they're a private and they're stupid. Yeah. Some some dumb infantryman. Mm Yeah. Some dumb infantryman named Kevin. Yeah. (laughs) Kevin Johnson did that shit. Well, if you think about it, every line and every safety brief ever exists because somebody did it. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It was for one badass moment that we all have to suffer through this. uh, Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think that. at some point, I've been the cause of, of a new line in the safety brief. Oh, I have I have whole general orders on the Chicago Police Department written because of me. Hell yeah. Right up there next to Capone's name on the list of shit, right? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, so I, I got another funny one, right? So my boss is chewing me out. And I'm a boss, too, on the police department by this point. My boss is chewing me out. And I forget what I did, but I wound him up good, right? And he's yelling at me and he looks at me and he goes, Matt, because I mean, we, we weren't on bad terms normally. He was just pissed off, you know? He's like, Matt, you look bored. I looked at him. I said, boss, I've been chewed out by ambassadors. I, 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 this isn't going to affect me. <laughs> I think people in the civilian world tend to forget that kind of stuff. Yeah. But so, no, I was going to say though, like that. I think civilian employers tend to like maybe they don't understand that like you can chew my ass all you want, but like you have you pales in comparison to to the ass chewing that I've had. Man, when I went through the uh, LAPD, uh, the academy, and uh, these black hats in quotation marks are coming and screaming in my face, and I couldn't help but smile. <laughs> And laugh a little bit. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I've I've been through worse. And everyone else, me about yeah. That. I'm like, come on now. This is just screaming. This is uh, this is a, this is bullshit. Come on. There's so much better hardcore shit that's gonna come. Like, you, you're not gonna bring me down screaming at me, man. But anyway, um, the when did you you start with the uh, the bar? No. Hello? Bar? No, no, no. Not a bar. No, the, um, the when did Greybeard start? Greybeard, yeah. Yes, so right when I retired from the police department, actually, like, I incorporated the LLC and everything just prior to my retirement so that I'd be set up to go. I already had classes scheduled and stuff set up to go when I retired. So it was a pretty seamless transition. <clears throat> so, and then... Uh, 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say one of the one of the reasons that Tyree asked that question is because uh, one of our one of our buddies, you know, he's he's E nine now, um, out there in the army, and he had mentioned that, like honestly, like retiring from the military, it's like, uh, it's like, man, what am I gonna do, you know, after this? And uh, and, and I knew when he asked you like, at what point did you decide you're gonna do this, and how did you end up, you know, coming into this? Like, I knew that's where he was going with it. <clears throat> um, but you said it was a thought prior to uh, retirement and then getting getting everything situated. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I enjoyed I enjoyed being a trainer with the military. I enjoyed it with the police department. Um, you know, because a big part of what SF does is you actually instruct foreign troops. Mm-hmm. It's not just direct action stuff. And I always enjoyed that. I always liked it. I had taught martial arts before, and it just seemed like a, a kind of a natural thing, you know, especially because it is a retirement gig. I don't have to, I don't have to do it day in and day out all the time. I can kind mm-hmm. of do it on my terms, mm-hmm. which is also nice. And it's it's been great because now I go all over the country and I've got, I've met new friends that are my kind of people in all these different places. Mm-hmm. And that's really nice too. Yeah, you're just kind of broadening that 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 family and that 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 network. Because um, I know, like when we, when we first talked about, I don't remember what date it was that we were going to uh, originally record, but y'all y'all had a gig going on, in I think it was Georgia or something. And uh, where where are you where are you based out of now? Are you still in Chicago? No, no, I escaped there. So the interesting thing about Chicago is that I went there for the work, right? So it was basically like the world's longest deployment to me. Mm-hmm. Like it was never really home, quite honestly. Um, now we left and moved to Texas as soon as we could. So I'm down here in Texas now. Nice. <clears throat> right on. Yeah. So yeah, I mean like being able to go all over and, and meet and train and train with uh, like-minded folks. I mean, that's like really like, especially as a retirement, like, can, does it get any better? Like you're able to work in your passion, you're able to meet, you know, and, and grow that network and grow that family. Like, and, um, I was reading about, um, your, the about, about, uh, Raybeard actual on that link and your, on your page, whatever, and it goes into your, your bio, so to speak. And, um, you, you've got quite a few things that you've got going on, especially in the shooting world. Yeah. There's, like the whole competitive shooting thing now, because I've been like a martial artist my whole life, right? That's always been kind of. Mm-hmm. What, what did you train in? I started out in um, Shotokan Karate. Actually started out in Taekwondo first, and then shortly left that and went to Shotokan. Spent a fair amount of time in Shotokan. also did like judo and things like that while I was doing that. Um, and remember, this is way back, so there was no MMA or mm-hmm. UFC back then. But I competed in that as a teenager and did well. But my kind of my focus wasn't just the competition. It was kind of the real world aspects too, right? So that led me to doing judo and dabbling in like wrestling and boxing and doing Aikido and doing a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, at Bragg, I did a JKD, I did Jeet Kune Do under one of the swick instructors for the couple of years I was there. And it's, it's become like, I've trained in a bunch of different arts, like some really old school Japanese stuff, like jiu-jitsu and aiki jiu-jitsu and kenjutsu. 
and some modern stuff like Jeet Kune Do and things like that. Um, and it's, you know, BJJ also, of course. Right. And like that kind of was the beginning of all this for me, really, honestly, was martial arts. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it wasn't really a hobby. You know, it was, it was kind of like who I wanted to be. And that's what led me to being a soldier and a cop, too. Yeah, the, the way of life. I mean, it's the warrior class. And now the shooting competitions are my primary martial art now. And like that's how I look at them. I train for that like I trained as a martial artist before. And there's huge benefits for law enforcement and military shooters from that. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to do it, and they really shouldn't be because they're hesitant because there's no tactics involved. But shooting is a skill, and the better you are at shooting, the easier it is to use your tactics. Definitely. Right. It is absolutely a skill that will erode if you don't keep it sharp. Yep. And it's a skill that a lot of people, honestly, until you compete, you don't realize how good good actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some guys out there that are engineers or IT guys or construction workers that can run a gun like you would not believe. We did several competitions uh, on the uh, department when I was working Safer Cities. Same thing, like people you would not believe. There was a female, pregnant female <laughs> on our squad that could outshoot everyone with her eyes closed. And it, she didn't have any other formal training anyplace else. She only got her training from the department, and she didn't have those bad, um, bad, you know, she didn't pick up any bad skills or tactics from, you know, any other training. So she just got her organic training just from the department and it showed. And she told us like, Hey, when I'm not pregnant, (laughs) I am training. I'm always shooting because people underestimate me as a small little Asian woman, but she would put one between your eyes before you knew it. Mess around with this lady. So. Stories like that warm my heart. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is. It is. No, and, and like like my wife, my wife has never been military or law enforcement, and she can shred with a gun. Mm-hmm. Like it is, her her splits between shots are unbelievably fast. It's cool to see, actually. And and who taught her how to shoot? Um. I'm her coach now, but she was shooting long before we got together. Okay. So she took a bunch of defensive-minded shooting classes from, like, a local instructor in the Chicagoland area. Mm -hmm. Um, He was actually on CBD. I've actually known him for a long time. And it's kind of the same thing. She went into it. She'd been an athlete, so she's got the right attributes for picking up a physical skill. Mm -hmm. And she went into it with, you know, zero bad habits and zero ego and got really good really fast. And so perfect. she was good before we ever met. Yeah, that's that's the perfect for perfect mix. Have you ever come across someone shooting and training where you're like, man, this ain't going to work out? And they, they came through and, and they took the lessons that you were putting out there and they actually learned something. Is there any surprises out there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's that's probably less apparent with my classes because my classes, you already have to be at a, a pretty decent level of skill mm-hmm. to come to. I, I don't do beginner classes. Okay. 
Um, I've got some adjunct instructors now who are going to be doing beginner's classes, but I focus more on like, you know, intermediate to advanced. Okay. And that's more a function of just, I want to put this the right way and I don't want to see America because that's not, that's not it. But like, I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Mm -hmm. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> and I was able to get to a really high level once I finally learned those lessons. Mm -hmm. I want to give that to people. Yeah. The beginning stuff, you don't need to have gone to the level I've gone to, to train people. And I said, I don't mean that to come across the wrong way by any means. I'm, I'm neither knocking people who train beginning shooters, nor am I saying that I'm the best shooter in the world. That's not my point. Mm -hmm. But I would just prefer to teach people a little more advanced because I feel like that's where the lessons that made the most value to me are needed the most. Yeah. I think I would pull my hair out, try to teach someone from point A when I'm already running and gunning. And I, if I can get someone who's already halfway there, that would be so much better, so much more fun for me. So I'd get that fully. I wouldn't want to. And plus from a safety standpoint, because, man, I've seen some funky, uh, funky tactics on some ranges from, quote, experts. Yeah, um, that's out there, too. Yeah, it's terrifying. But it's you know, and honestly, I was the same way when I taught martial arts. Like, I had no interest in teaching beginners. Mm. So it's probably like, as much a personality thing of mine as anything else. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's just from teaching Afghans and Iraqis and <laughs> South American soldiers. We've all seen the videos of Afghan PT. <laughs> they really can't uh, do jumping jacks. Like that that, that's insane. been the running joke in SF for forever. It's not just the one video. They can't do it. I, I don't understand how they can't do them, but they can't. <laughs> it's a coordination thing, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel, about it, though, like those those guys really do have a deck stacked against them. For sure, nutrition, upbringing, education, like they, they just. Unless you were a rich kid like Ali and you got to play sports, what athletic training have these guys ever gotten? None, right? You know, aside from running up and down the mountains, they can do that now. That they can't do. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I was, uh, was going to say I was definitely jealous of that, but at the same time, I'm just not a big fan of cardio. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm jealous of it, but they can keep it. Yeah, it's a necessary evil. Cardio is a necessary evil. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I have to, every time I do it, I have to force myself. If I do any kind of hit training, I have to force myself. Like, you're not going to like this, but it's only going to be for a short period. You know. But it's like you're talking about, like having to run that for that five miles in forty minutes. That's the longest forty minutes. Ugh. Oh, dude! I, every time that came up, I hated that. Like every single time. One thing, you know, it's, it's, it, for the you know, we, the army just switched over to the ACFT, so we got a new PT test, right? Yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. Um, taking the APFT, I, I, I hated it every single time. There's not one time where I was like, man, let's go do some push-ups for two minutes, and then sit up for two minutes, and then run for two miles. Great. Not a thing, but the ACFT is way better. They still include the two mile though, um, which I hate, but the ACFT feels more like a workout. Um, so it's definitely, so I think it's, and it's a way better assessment um, of, the, of, of, of overall strength and how it relates to what we do as soldiers in the, in the army. Um, unfortunately they removed the leg tuck and that's a whole different thing. 
I could probably go on and on and on and bitching about that. But so I, I got a funny story to tell you, right? So a buddy of mine, he actually saved my life in Central America before 9 11. He was an 18 Delta. Now he's a warrant NSF. He's uh, he's old as me, but he's still hanging in there. Hmm. And uh, he's a lieutenant in Houston now. And we talk all the time, right? Houston PD, lieutenant Houston PD. Houston. Mm-hmm. So we're local to each other now. I mean, we've been, you know, best friends for forever. We'd always like travel and see each other. Because like I said, the guy saved my life. It's not something you forget. Right. So he was talking about his ODA that he's the warrant of. And uh, they had two guys that uh they they did something about the new PT test in the deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Like if you're over 200 pounds, it's a different standard or something. How does that work? So I don't really know the details of it. As far as um, like your body weight? Is it, are you deadlifting your body weight or what is it? Oh, no, no, no. So the it, it's a range from 140 to 340. 340 is the max. If you can okay. do 343 times, you get 100%. Okay. So I guess they had a couple of guys that didn't get 100% because they were like smaller guys and we had 200 pounds. So the team sergeant's talking to my buddy Tom about it. He goes, yeah, you know, they didn't max it out because, I mean, let's face it, they'd be like 180 pounds. It's hard for them. And Tom goes, that's fucking unacceptable. And he goes, what, the deadlift? He goes, no, weighing under 200 pounds, I mean, I'm an ODA. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's a big boy. He, he's, he's a big dude. He looks like Genghis Khan. Oh, okay. I mean, not like, not fat big. He's muscular. He's just like yeah, a big, right. strong guy, yeah. you know? <clears throat> But it was just it's a typical Tom thing to say. It's like, yeah, fucking unacceptable. How dare they weigh her 200 pounds and be on my team? <laughs> you, know, you know, I've heard stories of uh, other foreign militaries talking about, um, you know, fighting along Americans and how, like, one of the one of the main things that they always mention is our size. We're a bigger group of dudes. Like, I'm 6'2", 240, um, not a fat ass. Um, working hard not to be a fat ass. I eat like a fat ass. Um, but like, I, I like to lift big. So like doing the three, four and the deadlift is, is the norm is it, it's easy. You know, it's not that that's, yeah, it's no, not that. no. no, it's really not, but, uh, but, yeah, that's that's, that's, but I'm also, but I'm also six, three, two, forty five. So <laughs> I was about right. to say yeah. us, us little guys, what about us little, well, I'm not little, I'm you, six, you are not one, little. 200 on a good day, yeah. you know, I'm but I can run like way. the wind, baby. Who threw mm. a Cheerio back in the day, but man, <laughs> run like the wind. No, that's true. You used to be scrawny. Well, yeah. I think we all did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. I was as a private, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think joined the army at like 180, 185, at, you know, 6'2". Was the bean bowl. 175, baby. <laughs> solid muscle, man. Them four bending breezes. Yeah, solid, solid muscle, all three sinews yeah. of it. Blew me away, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I could hide behind a blade of grass out there, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So, Kevin. Yes, sir. Uh, we are coming down to the end of the show. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, this has actually been a really fun show. Yeah. Like, uh, it's been really good talking with you. Um, like oh, you, have some, you have some pretty badass stories. Oh, I wish we had more time. We, I'm sure we we haven't even gotten to like half, not even a portion of what would happen uh, in I your military. The yeah, I know. That's the only issue with these these podcast shows is, mm. you know, we want to get so much out of people and they want to tell us so much, but we only have so much time. Uh, 
but I do appreciate having you on, especially the first guest of our news, our first, uh, I'm sorry, second season. Mm -hmm. Um, our little thing is growing little by little, right? Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Cause I, I've had a great conversation too. Like this is, these are the conversations you have with other vets that you just don't have otherwise. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's just, yeah. 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 I sat outside in front of Walmart two days ago talking to a former Navy guy who, who did some special type things. He wasn't a SEAL, but he, I guess, worked in their, in their AO. Um, and we sat there and talked for Tyree X. I was on the phone with you yeah. for like half an hour in front of Walmart. Just the same thing. Just, just kind of bullshit. Was he a boat guy? I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are pretty tough. Actually. Those guys, their job's no joke. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess we gotta we gotta end the show here, uh, which is unfortunate, like Tyree said. But uh, um, if you're interested, though, if you've got more stuff that you want to talk about, then we're not we're not opposed to bringing you back on if you're if you're down. Yeah, I'm down for that. Sure, for sure. We can talk. We can. Uh, I can get a hold of you offline, and we can figure that out and schedule it and all that stuff. But uh, but uh, it's been absolutely great talking with you for sure. Um, thank you so much for for being on the show um i do want to say one thing that i is actually your most recent instagram post i really like something that you had that you had on there um the quote from uh jean uh, de la fontaine death never takes a wise man by surprise he is always ready to go and if that i don't if that if that doesn't sum up my my take on you and how you've lived your life and what you're doing now in, in your in your career field like i really don't know what does you know um you know always be ready and i really like that i really like that a lot i'm glad <clears throat> actually i'm glad you posted that today because um it just it just it stuck with me um but yeah uh yeah really appreciate try it. To, like if you look at like the stoics and like you know the whole samurai zen thing in japan and mm -hmm. the spartans and all of that right it was all about just kind of being acceptive of the fact that it's that your presence here is temporary. Mm -hmm. So you got to live like you want to live and you got to die like you want to die if it comes to it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, I just, there have been several times in my life where probability wise, I really most likely shouldn't be here anymore. So mm -hmm. I kind of look at it as everything after those events, is extra to bonus. Mm -hmm. Like I already did the, I already did the part I was supposed to do. And now I get to enjoy the rest of it because I wasn't supposed to have it kind of, right. mm -hmm. which to some people can sound depressing, but I don't look at it that way at all. It's like, this is, this is now every day is extra. Every day I wake right. up, it's like, Hey, I get another gift. I get to stick around 24 more hours. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah, no, for real. And I always listen during these shows for, uh, uh <clears throat> A title and that is a perfect title is i wasn't supposed to have this because look at how far you've come along from what you've had right oh yeah, yeah. if you if you were to ask you know matt little or private little hey where do you see yourself in 2022 you know what i mean like would you could you even imagine being where you are right now no no definitely not you're definitely, I think, living the life that a, a lot, a lot of us, especially you know those of us who were eleven Bravos, like you're kind of living the life that, like, man, how rad is that? <laughs> you know, we want that. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess we got to make like a tree um, yeah. and leaf. So uh, for real, though, uh, definitely appreciate you being on and um, and uh, definitely look forward to, uh, you know, having you back on again and uh, maybe get, get deeper into deeper in the weeds with some of these other stories you got going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank absolutely. you. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the first episode of season two on uh, Before I Forget. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging out with us. Uh, please continue to do so. Stay by, Kevin. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Bye, Kevin. I'm fading out. You got to fade out. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs>